Welcome back, everybody, to Matt Goes to the Movies. I'm Matt. Rob's with me. I am so excited. I cannot wait to start talking about the newest episode of The Mandalorian. We were hot and cold last week talking about episodes five and six, and I feel like I am on fire right now. I want to get into this thing, talk about this, maybe get into a little bit of what we think will happen in the season finale, but Rob, for me, a complete and utter, and we talked about this at the end of reviewing episode six, a complete tonal shift, the things that we were worried about and the things that we said, oh, well, the last two episodes could change things around. And I said, like, I don't know how they kind of transition. Like, it seems like a lot. Um, to me, this episode was a reminder that, God damn it. And I might say that a couple more times when Star Wars clicks, it clicks. I am in love with this episode. Right there with you. And when the Mandalorian is good, it is among the best that Star Wars has to offer. And when Star Wars is good, it's among the best entertainment you can find. I think we've had a couple of times this season where we've done kind of double episodes for a variety of reasons. And and part of it is your schedule, my schedule, just being busy. Uh, we've had a robust recording calendar with some other stuff we're doing. And I think part of it was just like, uh, you know, some of these episodes, it's like, do you really have a lot to say about it? And a couple of times we've been like, nah, you know, we've been able to right. recap the whole episode in about 20 minutes. When I got done watching this episode last Wednesday, it was really hard for me not to try to just get right on air and talk about it right away. Uh, this was something that I was really pumped about. I was really excited, reinvigorated for it. Because you're right, the, the what we got last week was was kind of a dud. And what's weird is there's a lot of people online attacking people who say that last week's episode was a dud. Right. Um, it's kind of weird. I, I and I think it's I think it's all Lizzo for whatever reason. She's just got like this like this Beskar armor around her that deflects any negativity that anyone throws. As soon as somebody says something negative about anything Lizzo's involved in, it's just there's all these people that come right to her to her. Uh, um, you know, to her defense. And look, I don't have a problem with her as a person you know, some of her music's kind of fun. I'm not really a pop guy, but some of her music's catchy and fun, but um, she's, you know, she wasn't great. Uh, her scenes weren't great. I'm happy for her that she got a chance to be in. And I know that I saw something like her father was like super into star Wars and it meant a lot to her to be able to be in it because of, of the, what it meant uh, to her knowing how important it was to him. So awesome. Cool. I'm, I'm happy for her, but I just, thought last week's episode was a dud. Yeah, I I think part of the problem there is, you know, it's it's very hard sometimes to, you know, critique a performance. And again, I I don't mean like when we said things last week, like I, I I'm not trying to personally attack her as a person. I just no. didn't think she was a very good actress. I great. People like her. They like her music. That's fantastic. Um and sometimes that's a hard thing is like people won't separate the fact that like, yeah, I just don't like the performance. Like, that's yeah. it. Like, I'm not saying she's a horrible person and she's like slime of the earth. I'm just saying she wasn't, you know, she wasn't good. Um, so that's a difficult thing sometimes. But, um, you know, with with this episode, um, visually, storyline wise, everything was clicking. You get hints at what's, you know, you, you finally kind of get a little bit more uh, than a hint of what's to come. 
Uh, they certainly, I think, and one of the things that I want to talk about is maybe it will take more time, but is this show and what they're going to do with things like Ahsoka, just like the prequel trilogy over time now has its its fans, are the shows going to be able to maybe not completely rectify but make the sequel trilogy somewhat forgivable in some fans' eyes because they're doing a lot of things that you can start to put pieces together of how things happened. Um, is you know, is it completely excusable what they did with certain things in the sequel trilogy? No. Could the sequel trilogy maybe have been better if we would have seen some of this stuff beforehand? there's a point to be made, but part of me feels like some of this might smooth some things over depending on what we get. You know, one of the things that is really a hallmark of star Wars is how much story is not told. And this even Mm -hmm. goes back to the original trilogy. I mean, think how much, think how much story in the expanded universes, the stuff that is officially canon and not canon anymore because Disney kind of wiped the slate clean. But think how much gap happens between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back and then Empire Strikes Back and Jedi. There are whole characters that have whole arcs of story that exist between games. You know, I'm thinking of the great N64 game Shadow of the Empire. Um, so good. Yeah, it was so good. Takes place between uh, Return of the Jedi and, and Empire Strikes Back. A lot of really good stuff in there. There's There's plenty of story, and that's kind of like that's part and parcel of star Wars is to mm-hmm. have these big gaps in time that allow the viewer to kind of think about things. But I, I agree with you. And I know we've talked about this before. It was a risk and, and maybe not something that played out as well as they had hoped to just kind of pick up in real time, how many years had passed in the sequel trilogy from the prequel trilogy and not really give us a lot and, mm-hmm. and just kind of, well, I guess the empire's back and they've just rebranded themselves as the first order. Like, well, how did that happen? Like, hold on at the end of return of the Jedi, you have no reason to think that. And they try to explain a little bit of it, but they don't go into enough depth. And I think that, I think as we've talked, there's a lot of story to be told there. And, and what you've kind of seen since the release of the sequel trilogy, there's been a lot of things that fans have not liked about it and, and been very vocal about their dislike of it. And it kind of feels like the expanded fiction, both in comics and games and, and now the TV shows, have tried to work to kind of like spackle those holes a little bit. It, it kind yeah. of fill in those gaps or try to make justifications or try to make you understand a little bit more about how that could have happened. Yeah. And I I think the thing that's working for me, um, I mean, certainly anybody that's, that's listened to this show uh, knows that, you know, when it, when it comes to you and even our friend Harrison and, you know, several of the people that I, you know, that I talk to, um, you know, we're a little bit more um, of defenders of the last Jedi. And I certainly am more of a defender of kind of the rise of Skywalker. Cause for whatever reason, despite all of its flaws, I just get a kick out of that movie. Um, yeah. And you live with somebody who hates it. Yeah. Like I, right. Exactly. Um, like I just, for whatever reason, enjoy it. But I think for me, what's, you know, what, what is for me personally, what's making this work? Um, not only the fact that I'm like, yeah, okay. Like I just, I kind of enjoy it. 
Um, you know, what they're showing us, it feels very natural and it feels a part of the story. To me, it doesn't feel like they're going back and trying to retcon anything. Um, and that's where sometimes I, I feel things like, you know, get into trouble. Cause it's like, well, wait a minute. That doesn't line like that doesn't line up. Like how, no, that's not how we got here. Like, you know, but the way that we're seeing these things and things that they've mentioned in this episode, it's like, and we talked about this last week. Yeah. Okay. I can totally see why the first order is, is back. Like how this happened. Um, you know, certainly, uh, we'll get into it here in a couple of minutes probably, but you know, some of the programs in like the cloning, they mentioned that back in, I believe that was episode four where that whole episode was devoted to, you know, uh, reformed, uh, empire, um, officers and people, uh, you know, you, you get these seeds of, Oh, okay. I can totally see where Snoke and, and Palpatine came from and things like that. But again, it, it doesn't feel forced. It feels very natural. I think that's why I'm enjoying it as much as I am. And I'm interested to see more and not just, Oh, it's stupid anyway, because I don't care where, like, I know where it goes. So I'm not like, I know the ending, so I don't care about the journey. Yeah, I think there's a, so much mystery left about the journey that, um, particularly when told through the lens of the Mandalorian, which it has its off weeks, but largely has been a very enjoyable ride. We're seeing these events happen through the lens of characters we like. Mm-hmm. Primarily, this is the story of of Din and Grogu, and now it really feels like it's the story of Din, Grogu, and Bo-Katan. And so far. Like I, I, I like those stories. I like seeing where those relationships are going. And now the armor is playing a larger role and there's some interesting stuff going on there. I, I, oh, yeah. I got some, I, I'm wondering about some stuff going on with her. Um, so yeah. And then, and for some, some of the missteps, maybe it felt like where they're showing that expanded world where these, you know, operation paperclip style, former empire, uh, officers are now being integrated into the new Republic you know, it felt kind of like there's not really much here, but now it does start to feel like that's connecting. And at the time it sort of felt like, well, where's this going? Mm-hmm. Why does this matter to our characters? Now it does seem like it's mattering in a way that's important and is exciting. And man, once they can't get here soon enough. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, starting with this episode, um, you know, episode seven, boy, it, it starts off and if you just had somebody maybe walk by the television or you don't know what you clicked on, you might think you were watching Blade Runner on this first scene. Um, but it's freaking gorgeous. Um, I don't remember ever seeing star Wars really look like that. Um, and it was just kind of a cool new visual to see. Um, and you get finally the first shot of Moff Gideon, like actually being around. Uh, I just thought the opening scene, you know, again, visually was just, it was really breathtaking. I thought it was just such a cool look for star Wars. Visually it's great and auditory. It's even better because that theme that we love that I believe is one of the greatest themes ever created for television. If you go back and re listen to the opening of this, it's there, but it feels heavier. It Mm -hmm. feels 
more serious after kind of the throwaway we got last week. That was very kind of, what is this now? Just right away from the music, you know, okay, it's, it's kind of go time. The the theme is altered in such a way that adds that level, adds that layer. But you're, I think the Blade Runner comparison you made is, is great because it's really like, like, uh, like, like cyberpunk dystopian. And yeah, it, it felt, it really felt like, a a unity of like the video game cyberpunk blade runner and like tron and, yeah. and almost like a perfect triangle like it, it <laughs> exactly and and there's 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 opportunities within star wars to tell all of those stories and show worlds like this because mm-hmm. it just they've the the ip itself just allows for that flexibility you can have an entire moon that's just a forest you yeah. can have ocean planets you can have desert planets you can have planets that are just an entire city you can do those things and you just go yeah that fits yeah and i i think one of the cool things too um not to get hung not to get hung up on it but you know one of the cool things for me is like i said um you know it it felt a little bit different in the star wars world to kind of see some of those like bright vibrant colors compared to what we were getting because you know some of the complaints that i've i've always heard is geez there's like what six places that we go to in star Wars. Yeah. Like all the, you know what I mean? Like good for a gal, like for a galaxy far, far away, it seems very close. Like, yeah, we spent <laughs> like a lot of time on Kashyyyk. <laughs> we spent a lot of time on Tatooine. Um, so it was just cool to kind of start with like a different visual and everything like that. Um, and then, you know, where we start to get some of these other, you know, these other breadcrumbs, um, we see the shadow council, which, I thought was a, was a really cool scene. You get the mention of Thrawn, um, who again they're they're making a, a what I like what they're doing right now is, or at, at least for me, is if you've watched Clone Wars and Rebels, I think some of this stuff goes from awesome to outstanding um and if you don't watch rebels it's still you know or you haven't watched clone wars it's awesome because the things that they're mentioning some of the characters that they've shown um you have a better appreciation for if you've seen that or it's more of that you know uh leonardo dicaprio moment and once upon a time in hollywood what 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 you know just the point (laughs) exactly um but I don't feel like you're missing it. I don't feel like you're missing anything yet if you haven't watched those shows. And I'm impressed with what I consider the balance that they're pulling with that. I find that to be a really great point because I know that you've seen all of those things. I've seen none of those things. I've seen like two or three episodes of the Clone Wars TV show and got kind of confused before I realized, oh no, there was a whole film that happened before this that I didn't even remember existed <laughs> that I didn't see. So that's why I was like, oh, well, that's why I'm so confused. Like they had, they're building on like this relationship between Ahsoka and Anakin. Like, wait, where did she come from? And they're like, oh no, there's a whole film that explains that. So to me as a, which I didn't a, see that in theaters. Yeah, as a, <laughs> as a as a viewer of this show that hasn't gotten into those other, it's by the way, having Ahsoka coming out soon and just knowing what we got from seeing her prior, 
and just the way that this one is building, it's made those things move up my watch list. It's rapidly. So, you know, for someone like yourself that's seen all of it and someone like me who's not seen really functionally any of it, this show is hitting that great balance. I'm aware of who Thrawn is. I'm aware that he is regarded as an all-time great villain in Star Wars and that people are really excited to see how he's going to come in and just make a mess of things. Um, so I know that that's out there and that people are really jazzed about it. So uh, I want to be able to enjoy all of the little Easter eggs and details and all the backstory. So that's why this is uh, moving up my list to be able to get all that in. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, there's a, there's a real, there's a real air around saying that name on, mm-hmm. on this series and that, that council, you know, they're, they're kind of posing as warlords with like a loose confederation. It feels like it doesn't feel like the empire is really fully reorganized, even though they're all kind of agreeing to, to do the, they really feel like they're kind of operating their own little fiefdoms, almost their own little city states is kind of what it feels like that they're doing. And star Wars has always been, and I, I don't even would say loosely, I would say George Lucas has outright said that the empire was modeled around Nazi Germany. Yep. You know, there's so many comparisons, direct comparisons to that. And every time that I think about this period in history, you know, the new Republic, you know, the period of history of star Wars, you know, I'm just reminded about all of the different plots and things that people thought would happen where, you know, after the, the fall of, of Berlin in 45, there was all of these ideas that maybe there could be a fourth Reich that assembled in South America and Argentina and some, and and some of these places that these high ranking officials escaped to uh, Spain, places like that, you know, these guys got out and there was always this, this worry that they were still meeting, that there was, there, there were bases of support for them to relaunch a fourth Reich and thank God they never developed nuclear technology because there were plans of what would happen <laughs> if they could get their their hands on that. So when you start thinking about, well, how how did the empire actually come back? How did they win back? There is a little bit of a blueprint and you need you need a really crazy powerful weapon, which we know they eventually get. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a lot more plausible when you look at it through the terms of our own history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's, it's a great way to put it. Maybe that sounds weird, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a fact of life, but you know, with, with that shadow council, just, you know, uh, again, some, like some cool stuff that they did there was, you know, like we said, not only, you know, talking about Thrawn, but again, if you know, um, the, captain who talks about him is tied to him from the you know from rebel like he's part of it he's seeing live action um you know we have captain pelion we have brendel hux who anybody who knows the sequel trilogy you know that's played (laughs) by the guy's brother yeah that's played by the guy's brother um you know you get again like you get all these cool little things where if you know these things it it makes it a little bit more fun and then, you know, again, maybe not the I, I'm going to say like the biggest piece of information, again, maybe to tie these things together is the mention of Project Necromancer. And all right, with that, you know, with that one line, and I, I just stated this earlier, it almost 
kind of takes away some of the silliness from Rise of Skywalker of, huh, somehow Palpatine returned. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it, it's so <laughs> stupid. But you get that line and you're like, Are, okay, here we go. I mean, you see in this episode, you see tanks. You're not really sure what they are, but, you know, were those you know, prototypes of what they were going to use to try and clone Palpatine to, you know, create Snoke, um, you know, all of these little things that again, it's like, all right, I, these things are happening now again, I, I can't help but ask the question of if we would have gotten, if Mandalorian would have been playing in between the sequel trilogy even with the story that they kept, would some would they be regarded better immediately? You know, because again, <clears throat> we're getting things where maybe even in the first and second movie, it's like, oh, um, yeah, okay, we never like it wouldn't be as big as a surprise when you heard Palpatine's laugh or that he did come back because, oh, geez, they they tried to bring back Palpatine, but they kind of got this you know, Frankenstein monster and Snoke, so to speak, like this is as far as they could get in the process. Um, but again, I mean, I don't hate them, so I don't, I don't need them to make the movies better, but I, I can't help but wonder now with all this information, if you know how these things would have played out. I'd love to read the book that'll be written in like 40 or 50 years about what actually went on behind the scenes were they given on this show directions to fix certain things? Were mm -hmm. they allowed to just do it on their own and they decided there was something that needed fixed and they made that decision? Or was this the plan all along? I I've said before many times that my preference is that I just want a story to tell itself and not have to rely on other media to fill in the blanks or to have something make sense. I want it to make sense in context. I don't want to have to read a graphic novel or play a game or watch a TV series for something to make sense in, in its own timeline. If they decide to do that. Yeah. I think, I think we'll regard it a little bit differently. I think there's, I, I think even when you look at <clears throat> a lot of the things that, that they've done on Disney plus in general, we've talked about this with like WandaVision uh, things right. that happened in WandaVision made you dislike some of the worst parts of the MCU L less, you know, like you kind of think about age of Ultron a little differently after WandaVision, um, you know, the, the uh, certain things like that, you know, kind of heals that a little bit. Right. Um, and who knows in several years, if this continues to go well, maybe I I'm not saying it heals all of the, com the gripes and complaints. Cause look, people still don't like attack of the clones, even though the animated clone war show is mm -hmm. well, well, well regarded. It still doesn't fix all of, all of that nonsense, you know, floating apple and ugh, I can't, I don't even get me started. <laughs> so yeah, just tell, tell a good story. If you want to connect it, make it connect and make sense, but, but start, always start with tell a good story first. Right. Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, you know, and I do want to touch on, you know, it, it's great to see Gideon back, um, you know, his his cleverness, his ability to kind of manipulate, mm. so to speak, is on full display. But 
I want to take a second because, you know, between the boys, um, I'm just going to use two examples, but between the boys and, and the Mandalorian, um, is, do you pronounce the first name? G- uh, Giancarlo Esposito. Yeah. I've okay. heard it. Giancarlo. I've heard Giancarlo. I mean, it depends on the, you know, I think of where the person's from. Boy, this guy's amazing. Oh what, God. Yeah. What a, what a presence. What an actor. I mean, wow. Like he shows up on screen. You just know bad stuff's going to happen. Yeah. And you kind of want it like, yeah. <laughs> cause he's so good. He's so good. Um, but man, he was, he was on full display again. Um, in this episode and it makes me like oh my god i i cannot wait to see him in the season finale because you also kind of, you know you also get the the sense of hmm, a little bit of a, a power struggle maybe with with him and thrawn um he certainly doesn't think to he certainly doesn't seem to think that they need thrawn where is he i don't hear anything what's going on um and yeah, I mean, it's a very, if you've never seen anything, just the screen, you know, the what they've done to kind of talk about Thrawn, showing him in the trailer for Ahsoka, and then Gideon mentioning him, you want to see like, oh, a, a power struggle, you know, between these guys. Interesting. Oh yeah, I'm I'm 100% here for it. I'm going to co-sign what you said about Giancarlo Esposito for a little bit. I've got him I don't know if I've got him 1 or 1A in the charismatic psychopath Hall of Fame for actors. It's him or Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I'm not sure who number 1 is. It's one of those two guys that are <laughs> the the number 1 best charismatic psychopath um on screen. They they're just both so incredible at it. Moff Gideon is, in my opinion, I think he's one of the most dangerous Star Wars villains that we've seen. He understands people. He understands the cultures of the galaxy. He understands how to manipulate everyone he meets. He doesn't appear to be bound by anything. Certainly not moral codes. Mm-hmm. He has no traditions he's bound to. He has no religious views he is bound to. Certainly that we've seen so far, there's no loyalties to anyone that we think he's tied to. So when you've got somebody that intelligent, that powerful, that confident, and with the resources that he has, and he's not, there's, he feel he doesn't operate under a rule set. That's dangerous. That is mm-hmm. very dangerous. And we've not seen anybody that meets all of those criteria yet in Star Wars. No. Um, yeah, he's he's such an interesting villain. And like you said, we haven't seen that, you know, in, in Star Wars. Um, you don't see that. You know, you don't really see that a lot. Like, certainly we saw that kind of, you know, an infinity war with Thanos. You know, he had a certain, you know, creed that he lived up to, you know, he should like showing respect for Stark and things like that. Um, And, you know, he really didn't, you know, he had the chance to sit there and, you know, kill Drax and Mantis and Star-Lord. And he just was like, "I, I don't need to, you know, you don't pose a threat to me, so I'm not going to do anything. 
Um, you know, we certainly saw with Gideon, though. I mean, he was willing to shoot Grogu in season two. Yeah. And they were supposed to keep they were supposed to get him. But <laughs> like and he doesn't care. Like, whatever, you know. Um, so it's just it's a very interesting dynamic with him. Um, you know, that we've seen and we got more of it in this. And, you know, I'm I'm very interested to see where they take his story, if it continues into Ahsoka, if you know, what's going to happen here. Um, and we talked about visuals and, you know, another, I think, really great shot in in this episode is when we switch focus here and we're getting the arrival of the different Mandalorian groups. And that cruiser, that starship is hovering over the city and it's such an ominous shot because people think that like Imperials are there, but it's such a telling way to shoot the fact that like, you know, even though they're Mandalorians, there's that, dy- you know, there's that dynamic between them. I thought it was a really clever way to shoot that scene. And maybe I just, you know, again, I see what I want to see or think what I want to think. Um but to me, that that establishing shot of the ship over the city is I thought it was just such a clever way to really kind of signify the difference between the two tribes. It was really some good stuff here. I think what we've seen so far throughout this series, and I really think we've seen a lot of it in this particular season, are a lot. Of, Star Wars is probably most effective because like, the, in my opinion, one of the reasons why it is as popular as it is, is that it combines so many different elements of fiction that people like. You've got the sci-fi elements with the lasers, uh, the blasters, the light speed technology. You've got spaceships. You've got shields. You've got all of that stuff. You've got you know the <clears throat> a lot of those kinds of sci-fi elements. But then you also have some swords and sorcery elements too. You've got the force, which you could just call magic if you really want to. You've got lightsabers, which are just a stand-in for a broadsword, and and all of those other things. And you've got kind of the Jedi code, which feels a lot like chivalry in some ways, you know, a knight's code. It feels kind of like that. So you've kind of have these two worlds meet. And and that's part of, I think, what the appeal of Star Wars is. is, And then there's there's all of the elements that that got pulled from old samurai movies and things like that. Mm -hmm. So you've got that feel too. You know, certainly the way the Jedi dress feels a lot more Eastern than it does Western. Uh, There's just so much of that. And and so many of the Jedi code, you could pick and choose from different uh, uh, religions and disciplines all around the world. Uh, It doesn't feel like it's based in any one belief system. And I think that's part of why it feels so universal. It feels so like it could be Star Wars belongs to everybody. It doesn't, it's not just one group. And what we've really seen this series is, is really an amplification of some of those, you know, uh, medieval elements, you know, these, these tribes, uh, coming dealing with kings and queens almost line of succession who should lead us warring factions and things like that that have to come together for a common good it feels a lot more fantasy it with some of the the mandalorian side plots and i don't mean the mandalorian is in the title character of the show i mean you know the the group of people that culture uh it feels a lot more like that and i think it's been really effective yeah no i i think that's such a great point that the appeal of star Wars is that anybody can really like it young, 
old. Like it's just perfect. Star Wars belongs to everybody. Like that's, that's just it. Um, and you know, I I think one of the other things that I'd like to touch on here with this episode that I don't, I don't know why it clicked for me here. Um, because they were prominent in this, you know, in this episode, but my complaints about the show not being really about Mando and Grogu, so to speak. And, you know, we've certainly heard things about like, well, the show has shifted from, you know, Din is not just the Mandalorian anymore. This is about, you know, all Mandalorians. Um, it just kind of clicked in this episode for me that it's okay that they're not the sole focus, even though there were supporting characters in seasons one and two, it all still very much felt like their show. And that was one of the things that bothered me so much about this, but for whatever reason, um, and maybe because we got more of what's involved in the stakes, so to speak, it just really kind of clicked for me that, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in seeing more than just, what happens and I have been, but I, I really got invested. Okay. What happens to the Mandalorians as opposed to what just happens to Mando and Grogu? Yeah, there's, there's plenty of the helmeted Mandalorians that we don't necessarily always remember their names, but we're interested in them more so than we were prior uh, the armor is certainly stepped forward as a much more interesting character, particularly after this episode. The last several, she's really stepped forward. Like, what is she got going on? Like, there's, it feels like there's something there. Is it almost too? I, I mean, it, and you can elaborate on this more if you have another thought. I'm sorry to to interrupt you. Is it almost too obvious that she might be a spy? Like, is it almost like it's too in front of your face? So if it happens, nobody's going to be surprised, I would say, because it just seems like, you know, she's got the, the, the most prominent voice amongst her clan. And she's the one that seems to be calling the shots and telling people how they're going to go about things. And then she picks and chooses the moments to step away from the action. Mm hmm. But you'd have to explain why. What's what is she getting out of betraying her people? Because it doesn't seem like there's anything there for her. It doesn't seem like there's a benefit. So unless she's a clone and been body swapped or has been a, a, a you know a, a deep plant for a long time, um, it, it's it's hard to understand that. Uh, like I said, but it's just it's very strange kind of where where that's going. But you know, to your point, yeah, it, it does feel like. Mando and Grogu are kind of taking a little bit of a backseat, but I I'm okay. Cause I'm, I'm really interested in what they're doing with Bo-Katan. I'm, I'm really fascinated by what's going on with Moff Gideon and how that's going to all set up. So yeah, I think um, based on how this episode ends, we may not see a lot of Din until maybe the end of this episode at all. This might be a lot of Grogu and Bo uh, at the beginning of it. Um <laughs> Grogu operating his IG unit like Krang from Ninja Turtles is going to be just fantastic. Yeah, and I got to say yes, this. This is no, no, no. <laughs> these are the fun like Baby Yoda moments we've largely been missing from this season. We kind of got caught up a little bit here, and 
And anybody who's ever cared for a toddler will resonate with the scene where he's just spamming that yes button just Mm -hmm. nonstop. It's the shiny thing. And he's just going to keep hitting it over and over again. If you've been around a a two-year-old at all ever in your life, you're going to be like, I recognize that. It was, it's almost a version of the, are we there yet? Like you just repeatedly hear it. (laughs) If Grogu lived in, in the, in 2023, he would definitely be the kid that would walk up to you and ask you if you have any games on your phone. Yeah. Yep. Um, Yeah. I, I, I thought, you know, it was, they had some really good moments in this episode with the two of them. Um, I, I did like the little, um, you know, uh, call back to the the previous episode where he's like, no squeeze, no squeeze. Um, yeah. when he walks by Grogu, um, again, just like little moments like that. And in a serious, in a pretty serious episode though, but again, it was, you know, like we talked about when the show was firing those moments of humor, they always knew how to, to mix those in together. Um, where we've talked about it in some movie reviews and even some shows where it's like, this is not supposed to be funny. Like Jesus Christ, not everything. And that's some that's something that we've talked about with the MCU that we think has plagued it is the need to like, Jesus, not everything has to have a joke involved. Like, yeah. God damn. Um, but I felt like they, they incorporated that very well into here. Um, You know, certainly I I did like, too, where we saw a different side of Grogu in this episode where he steps in and breaks up a confrontation between the two different factions, Um, you know, two representatives from the the Mandalorians. I thought that was a very interesting scene um, where, you know, it was Grogu who stepped up. And they're like, well, you know, but I think it was Bo-Katan who said like, oh, we can't step in. And Grogu's the one who stepped in. I thought that was actually very interesting that it was him being like, this is not what we're like. This is not what we're here for. This is what split us in the first. Like, this is what split you in the first place. Like, get past your own stupid crap and realize what we're doing. I think you were right the first time you said this is what got us in the first place because what occurs to me in this moment is that Grogu has been kind of just chilling with Din and hangs out with Din because Din's his daddy Lorian. Yeah. Um, This moment kind of occurs to me that Grogu sees himself as a Mandalorian. Now he views himself as part of the tribe. He's, he's in that. Those are his people. Now they may not have the long ears that he does. And, you know, they might be able to get their own snacks where he has to wait for, for fish eggs that just come along to him. But I, I think in that moment, you can see where he really feels like the, this is part, this is his clan. Now, you know, he's got the, the arm, he's got the mithril armor on and he's got his own sigil now and everything. It, this he's a Mandalorian. He's begun his training and he wants to make Din proud of him. And, and Din's been working with him, obviously in training him a little bit here and there. He's been explaining the Mandalorian creed, to him mm-hmm. throughout this season. We've seen those moments and look, D- Grogu was in the Jedi temple uh, during order 66. He'd been there for some time. He had the opportunity to go back and do Jedi training again. And he made a decision that that wasn't what he wanted. He would rather live as a Mandalorian and, and be with Din. 
he's he feels that that's what he is now. Yeah, I I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, we we get the scene of of them going to Mandalore, and we saw it last. You know, well, we didn't see it last week, but we talked about it last week. And you get another one of those shots, but man, um, the shot of the Mandalorians dropping out of the ship to go down to Mandalore. Oh my God. It just looks, it just looks incredible. And there's, there's that moment when they first open and I want to talk about this guy more because boy, um, I, I really didn't realize it. It, it like until kind of the end of this episode about uh, Paz and it made me really think and I went, God, I really like him a lot. Um, and then I just started thinking about other things that he has done, um, you know, in this in this show. But there's a shot where he's looking down past his feet and it's such a great shot of like the scope of like them dropping down. It, it's it's a breathtaking shot. I'm going to I'm going to give a free idea to uh, EA and LucasArts. How much would you pay for a Mandalorian squad based action shooter that plays like Gears of War or Borderlands or like Marvel Ultimate Alliance? Well, they I, did. They tried it with Rogue Squadron, and I thought that game was actually pretty good. They they had a blueprint from way back when. But oh, my God. I'm, oh, stop it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you one with it's all Mandalorians and you get, you know, like a guy like Paz that's got a minigun and you get guys that are, you know, more of a a sniper class or one that's more of a healer class or Mm -hmm. one that's more of just like a general soldier class with like an upgraded flamethrower. Like, could I interest you in that? Would you plunk down a hundred dollars for the special edition? Like immediately if that was announced? Because I would. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I definitely. Why is that not a game already? Right. I'm I'm putting a copyright on this episode. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So, you know, we get to Mandalore and there's, there's one part of this episode that I do take issue with. Um, And it comes when we get the explanation of, Oh my God, it's an ambush. Um, I think the fights I again I think the action in this is is really well done but I found it a little funny um that they're oh my god they have best car armor and yet somehow it didn't work like Mando's like I, it felt weird it, like to me, it just, it felt a little off. And that's my one complaint about this episode is they made this big deal that now, you know, the bad guys have this armor that we've seen like Din take numerous shots and be relatively OK because of the quality and, you know, uh, of it. But yet they somehow were able to kind of mow through them for the most part. So if you want, and and I agree with that, by the way, if you want an explanation that makes sense in universe, Beskar armor that Mandalorians wear are forged by Mandalorians who know how to work with Beskar steel. Okay. Okay. So, you know, I, I believe there's a certain amount of the living water they have to use with it. 
I, I think I saw that somewhere. So if you want it to make sense, um, the empire in hiding, whatever you want to call them, they probably don't have access to that information. They're probably, you know, it, it's kind of like Greek fire. You ever read about Greek fire? Like yeah. we know it existed, but we don't know how to make it because all the records of it are gone. They're probably in the library of Alexandria that got burned. There's all that stuff that was there. So they, they kind of know what the effect was, but they don't know necessarily what the process is. I mean, listen, I've watched like every episode of Forged in Fire on, on History Channel, but that I, I'm not ready to buy an anvil just yet and, and start banging on some 1095 in my backyard without somebody actually training me how to do it. Yeah, um, I, I can totally take that. I, I can totally take and accept that answer. I guess the only way, I, well, I, I think, one of the ways where I'll kind of, I might backtrack next week and go, all right, it still doesn't make sense to me is if the armorer is a spy. Yeah. Because if she's helping make all of this, then I, I, I can't get behind that answer. Now, if right. it's, if it's somebody else, okay. Like they're not a forger. I get it. Like, Sure, they're not used to working with this material, um, you know, and and certainly it looked like there were spots maybe where there was points where you could get hit that wasn't protected. Some of their suits looked like, you know, kind of like in um, The Dark Knight when they're explaining um, Batman's new suit where he's like separation of plates makes you more susceptible to knives and gunfire, but you'll have more flexibility to me. Their outfits kind of looked like that where there might yeah. be some spots where maybe the Mandalorians, you know, good shots and everything like that could hit them. Um, but yeah, part of me would go, well, if the armor is behind this and she's helping, cause again, it, it almost feels too on the nose the way that she said, I'll take the survivors back and get them help and everything like, you know, some of it just feels too in your face to be like, yeah, it's her. Like, she well, for this some episode re- is called the spies. Right. Exactly. Um, is it, you know, I, I've heard theories that it's part of, you know, w- you know, the, the group that came in, um, some of the Mandalorians are actually spies because of the separation. And when they got booted out of Mandalore and different things, kind of like the, uh, the program that the new Republic is using for the empire. There's, there's some of that. Um, But one thing, Rob, that we didn't mention, and it happened before this, this scene. So I want to backtrack a little bit. Um, I thought one of, one of the most, to me, meaningful scenes in the entire three seasons is when Din really shows his loyalty to Bo. I thought that, I thought that scene was really well done. I thought that was really, um, and certainly based on the ending, we might get more, but just if his conviction to this creed and the, you know, the Mandalorian way I thought was on, it was never represented better to me than him really just pledging himself to Bo-Katan 
and talking to her individually. I, I thought that was just very subtly just well done. It didn't have to be a big production, but it just it hit home everything that we know about him. Yeah. And you think about his, his origin, he easily could have had a Batman origin because he had his parents killed and that's mm-hmm. why he doesn't, uh, he doesn't like droids in, in most cases, but he was taken in by this adoptive family, these Mandalorians who came in and saved the rest of, of the people there and raised him and trained him and gave him a home, gave him food, gave him a, a career, gave him a path. And what's what's kind of interesting here is typically in TV and film and games and and novels, the protagonist that we follow usually ends up in charge, like usually ends up running things Mm -hmm. is usually the captain is usually the president is usually whatever, even if it doesn't make sense. Yes, especially (laughs) when it doesn't make sense. But here we have our title character deferring to somebody else. And it doesn't feel like it's a setup for him just to eventually be thrust into leadership later. It doesn't feel like that's where it's going. No, I, I, I don't get the, you know, maybe bait and switch is, is the wrong term, but no, it, again, it, it just felt very, it felt very real. It felt like his character you know, when he needs to step up and he needs to be, you know, the focus or be the one who's making a decision, he'll do it. But that's not what he's looking for. Like he just to him, this family, this creed means doing whatever it is he needs to do. And if that's going under the expertise of somebody else or pledging himself to a, you know, this person's cause and battle. That's what he's going to do. He is going to do whatever this creed needs because he wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this group. Like if he doesn't have this group, um, what does he have? And I, I just thought that scene was so, it was so well done. I, I loved it. Maybe I'm, you know, being a little dramatic, but I, I thought it was it, one of, you know, one of those top moments of his character when you break down to me what it means for him to say that to her. And you think back to the second episode, third episode of this whole series, when he first meets Grogu and he's intended to dump off the contract and move on with his life. And he can't bring himself to do it. I've seen some fan theories thrown around that at some point Grogu used a version of the Jedi mind trick on him to kind of like, I guess enthrall Din with him to protect him and not let him, you know, be put in danger because he understands that there's danger here, even though he's functionally like a toddler, but he still has the idea of where danger is. And, you know, cause it's kind of like, okay, wh- why did he, why did he renege on this contract of all the other contracts he's had? He's probably had some real gray area ones where it's like, you know, this one wasn't a bad guy, but I got paid to bring him in. So I brought him in. So why did he choose this one? And you kind of see as far as a moral character, Din seems to continuously do what's right, 
what feels right, what feels like it fits with his code. So I kind of, I kind of feel like I don't believe that fan theory. No, I, I don't. Um, I hadn't heard that, um, but I definitely, I, I definitely don't agree with it. Um, certainly, again, anybody can have whatever thought they want on it. Um, I just, like you said, I feel it was more of, you know, his his moral compass, so to speak, in that moment told him that this wouldn't be the right thing to do. There was there was something more than just, you know, oh, just drop off this contract. And like he was, you know, to me, the wheels were OK. Well, why? Like, why? Like, what's it, like? Why do you need this kid? Um, and maybe he saw a little bit of himself, you know, certainly I think some of the shots mirror each other, but you know, when he sees him for the first, you know, when he sees Grogu for the first time, it's kind of eerily similar to when he's rescued. And like the way that we see him seeing Grogu, um, I think that's intentional. I think part of him kind of sees this is his opportunity to have somebody looking at him and be a protector like he was protected by the Mandalorians. Yeah, he's he's paying it back forward for those who did it for him. It's a small individual incapable of protecting himself, being rescued by Mandalorians and given a life. Yeah. So um, all of that was really good. And then, you know, we get to we get to the finale of the episode, the battle again, minus what I you know stated earlier. I did think the action was really good. Um, and you're, you're going to get the sacrifice from, from pause coming up, which again, it just, it made me really think about that character. I thought that scene was awesome. Um, and before we get into the very, very end, um, boy, seeing Mando get captured that, that boy, that was tough. And you, you yeah. get that glimpse of Grogu. Um, yeah, that was a really powerful scene. Um, you know, and you get a couple of those back to back there, but, you know, watching him get captured and him fighting um, and again, doing what he's trying to do to protect everybody else. Boy, man, again, when Star Wars clicks, it freaking clicks. Because well, even before that, like Paz is is kind of acting as a rear gunner to provide Mm -hmm. cover fire for everyone else to escape. And we've seen that like, go, go, I'll hold them off. Like we have seen that scene like a lot, like a lot, a lot. And I was prepared to crap on it a little bit, but it actually works. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I, while it might be a little hackneyed, I think the way it's used here, like, yeah, you're, you're heavy gunner would be the one that could provide support enough firepower to hold off this wave of, of attackers to let everybody else go. So yeah, having a character sacrifice himself in that way in this instance actually did make sense. And I just loved it when the gun stopped working, he just like threw it at them and just like, all right, we're doing this now hand to hand. Like this guy just was, he was wanted fresh out of force mode. to give. Yeah. Like, yeah just like, he... I got, I don't care anymore. Let's go. We're doing this. I'm, I will literally fight and fight and fight until there is not a breath left in me. And 
it's just like watching him do that. Just like Mandalorians are already super badass anyways. And like mm-hmm. somehow like watching him go down the way that he went down just makes him even that much. It, it just it just raised the overall badassness of Mando's up like two clicks, I think. Yeah. Um, can we talk about the Praetorian Guards for a minute? Because I was going to get to him. I was waiting, but because I, I, I wanted to ask you, let's uh, we'll we'll talk about them because I, I think we could stay on them for a while. Um, right. t- two things that I wanted to bring up. One, I thought even though we know what they are, just that shot when they realize and they're like, what is going on here? You get that shot of like TIE fighters and everything. Again, it no matter what we know about the Empire, the First Order, anything, that shot, again, just gave me like this ominous feeling of like, oh, God, like it just it was such a to me, a great shot and a great way to be like, geez, there's still such a threat. Like, and it further establishes that, you know, like you said, they've been kind of hiding in the shadows, rebuilding things on Mandalore. Um, And just I I thought that shot was really well done. Gideon's armor was amazing, which, again, there's some red flags there about why does his helmet kind of look like the armorers um, with the spikes? We, you know, I talked to you about. Mm, is there any influence from Darth Maul based on some of the things that have happened in star Wars legends? Um, but I thought all of that stuff was really good. So I'll give you a second to talk about that. And then let's talk about the first thing that you brought up because Rob, when that happened, I literally, I saw them that establishing shot walking up. I'm sitting on my couch. I literally sat up and yelled what the F out loud in my house when they showed up on screen. Yeah, it was exciting because this is actually how you make Praetorian guards look scary, the way they were Mm -hmm. used here. Because for whatever reason, when you look at different lists that are out there of the greatest lightsaber battles in all of Star Wars, for whatever reason, the throne room scene in The Last Jedi keeps coming up. And my feelings on that movie are, are separate from that scene on its own. It is one of the worst examples I can think of. Probably the worst example in a large budget, major AAA franchise blockbuster film of of two people or one person taking on a group of people where there's just a bunch of stuntmen sitting around waiting to get their asses kicked. I've said it a million times. I won't go into it again here, but it's so awful. And somehow that that fight scene ends up on like the, these lists of great lightsaber battles in all of Star Wars. And it just makes them not seem that useful or intimidating or valuable. And yet here, here, they're scary. Here, they can do damage. As soon as they walked up, though, you had a sense that he's done. Like the establishing shot of them. You almost think he's going to he's going to make it. You almost think like, oh, wow, as is not he he set himself up to sacrifice himself like we've seen before. He might actually get out of this. Mm -hmm. Nope. Yeah. And. Just, yeah, they look, you know, they look great. It was unbelievable. Um, That whole throne room scene could have been saved. It's amazing. I'll just say, because like you said, we've, we both talked about it when you, when you finally like, when you stop and watch, and there's been so many videos of it and just actually stop for one second and go, well, what the hell is that guy doing? Wait a minute. What is that guy doing? what the hell is that guy doing? Um, yeah. It's like, geez, but 
that's one of those scenes where it's like you're watching that on the editing room floor and you don't go, okay, we need to just tighten this shot a little bit so that the guys in the background aren't shown doing nothing at the moment. Like that's one of those ones where I, I sit there and it's, it's weird to me. If you're a professional film editor, you would catch that and go, we got to figure out a way to tighten this shot. This, this can't be a wide establishing shot because you can see people waiting around for something for their cue. Literally, they're they're just sitting there almost waiting for the guy with the cue card in the back to go rush in now. And it's just it's it's weird. Like you said, we've talked about it, but it yeah, whatever ill will that they kind of had, like, boy, they get it back in. They get. In spades. Forgiveness points. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I just holy cow, that scene. And man, it was oh God, it was so good because for a brief second and I was talking about this with my son, Brandon, and, and he said this, it was like, oh, I thought it was going to be that first little shot. You thought it was going to be Gideon. Like I was like, yeah, like, OK, you thought and then, yeah, it just something about that. And if you read like everybody loves the fact that they were back. Like, I really haven't seen anything saying, ah, Jesus, like, why are they here? Like, everything I've read was, it was, like, great to see them again. Yeah, no complaints there. And and it makes me excited as Star Wars continues to explore this period of time uh, between when the New Republic officially kind of kicks off and and the rise of the First Order how will these fighters be used? How will this unit be used? Uh, I'll be curious to see because the next time we see them, we'll already feel more threatened by them than we did the last time. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as we, we come to the conclusion of, you know, the episode, you just get, again, we talked about it. I have a fever pitch for the season finale. This this episode, what they did and what they established, and it could swing, it could certainly swing the other way. We've seen that. Um uh, it, it is amazing what one episode can kind of do to go, all right, yeah. This this will hinge everything on whether or not I think season three is like, OK, at the end of it, we might have hit a couple of speed bumps and we had to change the tire. But season three is a success like yeah. this episode sets up the season finale to go. Yeah, this is a success. And, it, you know, certainly some of the ratings for this have not been good compared to seasons one and two. but. Again, boy, do they have a chance to, you know, really go, okay, yeah, I want to go into Ahsoka. I want to see more of these things. Um, I'm super excited to see, you know, the the new movies that are going to establish exactly the rise of the First Order. Like these things have set that up to where, you know, yeah, I'll see it because it's Star Wars to 
No, I just want to see it because it's interesting. That was one of the things that Harrison and I talked about in a review was that's part of the problem for me with Marvel is it's kind of become, well, it's Marvel. I want to see it like like I feel like I have to see it. It's kind of been it's been part of the status quo for what? 12. How long has it been, Rob? 12 years now? How long? Oh, no. Yeah. A lot longer than that. Oh, yeah. Um, geez. Like 2009 to no, earlier. 2007. The, was it eight for Iron Man? Yeah, it's it's in there. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. Like it's just, you know, that kind of just became part of the life, um, regardless, really, of the the, the podcast. Mm. Um, but there's a difference. Like I I said, I want to be excited for a release again and not just go, well, yeah, like. Sure, I just want to like I'm going to go see it because it, it's been embedded into my brain, so to speak, that like, yeah, this is this is a Marvel movie. Let's let's check it out. Um, you know, that's that's what I think this is doing is this can really go. It goes from, well, it's Star Wars. I'll go see it to no, I have to go see it. There's a big difference. Big difference. And I think part of what is hurting Mandalorian is they took too much time off in between seasons. I think people are fickle. Um, certain shows you can take time off and, and the audience won't go away, but people are on to the next thing. Are they forgotten about it or the hype just isn't there? They, they, they'll get, they'll watch it when they get around to it. I, I think the way we consume television now is very different in the age of bingeability and streaming and things like that. So I think a lot of those things have hurt and they, you know, they possibly had to take time off to permit Pedro Pascal to participate in the last of us, which was, thank you for doing that. Cause yeah. that was awesome. Um, and you know, they've had things like the bad batch release. So there's been star Wars content, but the animated series are just simply never going to draw the kind of water that the live action films and TV shows will. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they've, they've still had star Wars content. Star Wars has still been present. It's been in, in the zeitgeist, but not in live action. And when you take that kind of time off, I think it hurts. I think it hurts the, the hype for the show and, and the, the desire to see it right away. Yeah. Because the, the animated stuff, you know, and it, it's a shame because some of that animated stuff I've, I've said it, I think the last season of the clone Wars, specifically the last four episodes. And I think the last shot of the clone wars is, is the best star Wars that's ever been produced. I, I, I think the clone wars is, is stunning. Um, but, you know, that is only a certain number of people are going to watch, you know, are going to watch that. And, you know, even for you, Rob, you're like, oh, it's it, it's to my list. But it's, you know, with your schedule, it's very hard to go back and get through all of those episodes of Clone Wars. It, it's not it's like a lot of seasons of television. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like they're five, 10 minute shorts. You know, it, it's not like you can sit there and go, OK, well, I'm off today. They're five minute episodes. I can rip through. Ten of them. No, yeah. it's it's invested. So it's it's very hard to go back and see those things. And like you said, when when that's the content you're getting for Star Wars. You're going to get a certain audience, but your live action is where you can branch out and bring in new audiences. Um 
and I, I animation also, is always going to just have a little bit of a stigma that it's for right. kids. Yeah. And, and our friend Harrison talks about this with his animation hall of fave series that he does uh, every year at the beginning of the year. You know, animation is not just for children. We've had the opportunity to jump on a couple episodes with them, which by the way, if you, if you enjoy this show, go check out uh, the episodes Matt and I did with Harrison on how to train your dragon. There's a, the trilogy over on the basement binge. Uh, I believe those will be linked in the show notes, but animation is still, even when it's adult animation, like outside of things like South Park and Archer and, and mm-hmm. things of that nature, animation that's not specifically like TV 14 or a rated R film is always going to have a little bit of a stigma to it that it's that it's for kids. And it's going right. to limit the. Yeah. And I did read um, a, a fascinating article. I think this is is worth mentioning. I, I read an article that really did interest me a lot of you know, are we getting to the point where we need to get away from week? Like we need to get away from weekly releases again. Mm. Is it, is it starting to hurt? Is it starting to hurt things? Um, especially when an episode is bad and you have, you have an entire week and, you know, Rob, you mentioned that, you know, certainly there were some things, schedules and, you know, other things, uh, going on where, you know, throughout the course of, of the show, we've had to do episodes like do reviews of two episodes. But some of that also was driven by it's like, well, I don't have enough to talk about with that episode. So it makes sense to recap two of them so that we're actually talking about something like I'm not jumping on here for 10 minutes to sit there and go. Yeah, this was, you know, like kind of what's the point um but i think that was there was something to be said there of you know do certain things need to and we talked about this before do you need to just dump the entire season at once i think there's advantages and disadvantages to that for sure i think a show like i mean that's the netflix model that's hulu's model they they just dump the whole series on. You watch it when you can. Well, HBO, Netflix has even switched though, because they've done certain they did it with Stranger Things. I mean, they dump, but they broke up Stranger Things, uh, season four into two parts. Oh, that, that's true. They did do that. Um, I think there's certain shows that when they become a major talking point, like everybody in the culture is talking about, like Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. that was helped by being a weekly release. The last of us was definitely helped as a weekly release instead of all at once. Something like tiger King was great that it was bingeable because it was right when everything shut down and you just couldn't get over how crazy it was. Mm -hmm. You watch the whole thing. And like, I, I, my wife and I watched it in like two sittings because we just couldn't get over how crazy it was. And right. And that's one of those things where I think if that would have been like, oh, we're releasing this episode here and this episode there. If you had time to actually stop and go over like over seven days and go, Jesus Christ, this guy's an idiot. Like, yeah, I'm not going to watch that again. But when you're like, again, and uh, the timing just sitting at home with, you know, not a lot else to do at the moment. It's like I think your brain works differently with. God, I want to see the stupidity. Like, oh, I just need to see the stupid. Like, oh my God. Where does this like, thing go? Where? Yeah. Uh, how stupid does this get? Instead of having a second to go, how stupid does, like, I don't even, like, why would I want to. like that 
where it's yeah. already out. Like we already know, like you can look it up and find out what happens if you really right. wanted to, it would kind of ruin exactly. the fun. Yeah. But so, I think where, but see, Disney's done this kind of, I don't want to say they've done both because think about Andor. they released the first three episodes right away. A lot of the Disney plus shows uh, for the MCU, they've done two episodes uh, right away. One division um, was, was two right away. I think, I think one or two other shows they've done have been, two episode releases uh, right away. And Obi-Wan and did about one it. and two. Yeah. And, and we talked about it with WandaVision. That was something they needed to do two episodes right away. Cause otherwise I don't know that you've baited the hook enough with that first episode to get people really in. Yeah, no, I, I, I think there's, you know, uh, there's definitely pros and cons to it. Um, you know, what would work? Um, and I, I wonder if, you know, we will see maybe a switch where they go, okay. And who knows, maybe with certain shows, they'll do it. And you know, other ones they won't, um, or maybe they're going to see how Ahsoka does. Um, I'll tell you though, like for me, I, I, I'm, I'm in too many nerdy places online all the time where mm-hmm. stuff gets ruined for me if I don't watch it same day. Right. So if they released a whole series right away, th- things would get ruined for me that would upset me. Like I already saw a shot of Grogu in IG 12 before I saw the episode and that kind of bummed me out like that, that, uh, that moment got ruined for me and it was on Wednesday, like the day the episode released, it was already right. out there. So on things like that, like I, I kind of appreciate like one at a time. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And you know, you, you said it here. I'll, I'll make one last point. Um, you know, this was an episode and I'm hoping episode eight will be the same where when this thing got done, uh, my, one of my, you know, first thoughts that was, you know, in like this melting pot of all these things running through my head was, Oh my God, I want to text Rob and be like, can you record like right now? Can we get on like, air right now? Like, yeah. yeah, like, can we, can we talk about this? But I knew just based on like my work schedule and a couple other things, I was like, I know I can't a hundred percent commit until Sunday night. So I, I, I don't want to get myself like worked up for it to be like, let's do this. And then be like, okay, well, cause of work or like, I can't. Um, but yeah, I was just like, oh my God, I want to talk about this episode right now. Yeah. <laughs> so for sure. But all right, let's let's finish up. Let's give a popcorn time. Um, I feel like it's been a while. Maybe my memory's fuzzy. Um, I'm going to go first since I've wanted to say this about the Mandalorian. Uh, this is a five regard like my one complaint about the armor. Um, this episode was a five. This brought back everything that I've loved about the Mandalorian. It brings back what you love about Star Wars can't say enough good things about it. Incredibly excited for the season finale. Enough said for me. Yeah, it's a, it's going to be an easy five for me as well for all of those same reasons. It kind of mentioned in the last recap that it felt like when they were talking about how the droids have taken over and people are too lazy to just kill all the droids off. It felt like they were trying to say something, but I didn't really care enough about the point they were trying to make. And they made it a very lazy point of it. There is one moment in this show, uh, this particular episode that I, that I really thought did have something interesting to say that really just, just puts it right over the top for me. 
Uh, and the exact line, I believe, is Mandalore is too powerful to defeat. It is always our own division that destroys us. And as I was sitting there, it just really, really hit me. And you think about, you know, Matt, you and I are lucky enough to live in the United States of America. We know we've got most of the listeners are, are stateside as well, but there's international listeners. And, and you know, we've, we've seen the map of where some of them live and some of them live in some pretty cool places to be. And some of them live in some places that aren't quite so cool. Uh, but, you know, hopefully wherever you are, you're happy and you're safe. But, you know, you think about the the who the enemies of of America are and, and likely they're not going to defeat us just on a battlefield the way that America will will as an empire get defeated is is from within and, it'll, and the crumble will happen from within and you can already see where the cracks in the wall are you can already see the the kinds of divisions that will cause that sort of thing um, you see it in the in the toxic online discourse uh, just the way that people talk to one another, the, the way that people just talk to complete strangers that would never say that to somebody in the face. They will, they'll happily hide behind the cowardice of a keyboard and, and just throw something just absolutely toxic and unnecessary uh, out there. And it just really kind of like, man, I, I don't know if they were in trying to do that, but it, it was a really, and, and I think sometimes when, when you're trying to make, a social comment when it it's it doesn't hit you over the head with a mallet that they're trying to say something that's when it's most effective mm-hmm. when you can when you can hear something see something recognize it but not feel like it was being jabbed into your ribs that's always when i think it's it's most effective and and i love that little bit that little moment uh it just felt so impactful to me and it took what i thought was already a great episode and took it over the top yeah it's because in those moments you can you can stop and think about it. When they're hitting you over the head with it, you have no time to think. Your yeah. you know your your natural reaction is going to be okay, I get it. Like give me a second. Jesus, like yeah. When it's very know, ham-fisted, it's less effective. Right, exactly. So, totally agree with that point. Um yeah, I I thought that that's a really good way to you know, to sum that up and some of the things that this episode mentioned, uh, I really enjoyed that. So we'll complete our episode of the Mandalorian. Um, we got one left to go. Incredibly excited to see where it takes us. Certainly a complete change, you know, uh, a real shift in terms of where I've mostly felt for this season, regardless of, you know, liking some of the season. Um, but it again, it feels good to want to jump on and talk about this. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, it's fun to talk about things in a, a not negative light, but hey, this is why I don't think this is good. Those those episodes are certainly fun as well. But yeah, it just it feels good to want to be excited to get on and, and talk about this season finale. Hopefully it lives up to the hype. Um I, I, Rob, I will ask as before we sign off, um, have you seen a couple of those, um, not, not memes, but a couple of the posts where there's the shot of when Din is getting like tied up and he's being held. And, uh, there's the side by side shot of, I've seen this before and I didn't like the way it turned out. And it shows the picture of him as Mando being held and then it shows the screenshot of Joel from The Last of Us Part Two being pinned up against the wall. 
Oh, I have not seen that. Yeah, uh, there, there's a bunch of those going around. And uh, my my son, Brandon, first showed that to me. And I was like, I I don't think they have the balls to do that. Um, but yeah. I was like, oh, no, like, no, no, I'm not ready. No, no, not ready. <laughs> not ready. Uh, but I've, I've loved all of the Mando Last of Us crossovers. There's been so many fun ones that are out there. So uh, listeners, if you've got one that you'd like to send, you can send those our way at mgttmpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, that or anything else interesting or, or fun that you have, any comments for the show, any listener feedback, any questions or queries, uh, send them our way. Maybe you'll get your thoughts read on air. While you're at it, uh, check out the show on Facebook. You can join the official Matt Goes to the Movies Facebook group. You can also uh, uh, join the Instagram page. You can find the show on TikTok. You can find the show on uh, Twitch, uh, Reddit, uh, TikTok. Yeah, I said that one, YouTube. Uh, Pretty much anywhere you are on the internet, you can find Matt Goes to the Movies. And for international listeners, uh, absolutely, drop us a line. Let us know where you're listening from. Uh, let us know how you're enjoying Mandalorian and uh, certainly check out past episodes. Um, while we were, while we're still working out a schedule for this month, uh, Matt mentioned it, that sometimes we'll get on and we'll absolutely trash a movie. I, I have suggested a terrible, terrible, terrible idea to Matt and he's accepted the idea and I regretted it immediately. Um, and I think we're going to probably have to do it and it's, it's going to be a bad movie. So um, th- look for that later this month uh, while we're getting caught up on past episodes, including uh, Matt and Brandon's review of the Resident Evil 4 remake that just released for all current generation video game consoles. Yeah. Um, you know, the the funny thing is, is you should have, you know, understood that I thought this was going to be an awesome idea. Um, (laughs) So yeah. um, Yeah. As we're working out the schedule, basically Rob and I are going to just be looking at doing tons of bad video game reviews. We're going to do the original super Mario brothers street fighter. Uh, We've certainly named some, you know, some really bad, some, what are they? Are they in between? Are they better than remember? We've talked about Max Payne because we've only both seen that once. And I remember I, I didn't like it. Um, I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. And it's been so long. I want to revisit it. It's it's one that I think is worth another look. Yeah. And you know, then we talked about things like, Oh, well, what about Prince of Persian? It was like, yeah, I just like, I don't care. It wasn't bad enough for me to be like, oh, that would be funny. And I'm like, it wasn't good enough to make me want to rewatch it. Or it wasn't, it, it just wasn't in the, the medium of it deserves a rewatch in any direction. So stuff like that, we've, we've decided to skip. Um, if we're, you know, we've talked about double dragon. If there's <laughs> one that you want to definitely hear us talk about, email the show, send it to us on Facebook, Instagram, um, and we'll see if we can get it in because some of those, you know, maybe we're missing one. Um, But listeners, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. We look forward to finishing The Mandalorian with you, and we will see you very soon at Matt Goes to the Movies.